0: Welcome back. This is episode two of the Dog Training Book Club. My name is Dana Villa. I am a certified professional dog trainer and behavior consultant, and owner of Taking the Lead Dog Training located in Norristown, Pennsylvania. Today, we're gonna talk about the book, Don't Shoot the Dog by Karen Pryor. If you only ever read one dog training book, this is the one I would recommend this book is all about reinforcement-based training, the thing I love most in the whole world. What that means is that we use something our dog wants to increase the likelihood that a behavior is going to occur again. So for most of our dogs, that's going to be food, play, attention, and freedom to do what they want. The same goes for us people though, right? We behave tirelessly to access these same things in life so it should be easy enough to relate to. Often, we use the term reward to mean reinforcer, but reinforcement isn't exactly a reward. So you need to think beyond treats, beyond the toy, and realize that reinforcement is everywhere. And that's my first takeaway from Don't Shoot the Dog. That behavior is repeated again and again for one simple reason, and that's because it works to achieve outcomes. I do the behavior of typing to write my thoughts down. Clicking my fingers to the keyboard gets reinforced by words popping up on the page. I wouldn't exactly call words on the page a reward, though. But if I typed and nothing appeared, I'd eventually stop typing and try something else. For our dogs, we often want them to do behaviors that they wouldn't choose to do on their own. Most dogs prefer to jump on people to greet them instead of sitting calmly. So if you want your dog to sit calmly, you need to reinforce that behavior so it works for them and do it over and over again. Repetition is going to be the key. The book goes on and explains what reinforcement is and how Karen Pryor used it in her life working with kids and dozens of animal species, including dogs. So don't ever let anyone tell you that reinforcement-based training doesn't work. It's like the law of gravity. It's there, and so if it didn't work, then you gotta look at the application of it and where it was faulty. She also breaks down important concepts to know before you start training your dog, like schedules of reinforcement, the timing of reinforcers, and the size of reinforcers. I suggest reading chapter one a few times to really get familiar with these concepts, but I'll give you some ideas to think about for now. Schedules of reinforcement means how often You reinforce when the desired behavior occurs. Do you reinforce every time, just sometimes, almost never? As a dog trainer, I can say that most people don't reinforce their dog enough and that most dog owners should up their game and become a Pez dispenser for their dog for doing the behaviors they like. As for timing of reinforcers, does your dog really know why they're getting praised or a treat? freedom to go run around. As a dog trainer I'll tell you that most people's timing sucks. The dog lays down and by the time the dog gets a reinforcer they've stood back up and so what got reinforced? Getting up! Good timing is crucial for your dog to learn the right thing. In the book she explains the best way to communicate with your dog so they understand the why and that's by using a conditioned reinforcer. A clicker, a noise, a word, that means bingo, great behavior, a reinforcer's coming. Chapter two is all about shaping. Shaping is a way to train animals to do behaviors as simple as touching their nose to your hand or as complicated as jumping through a hoop of fire. One tip, it can be hard to start shaping on your own, so find a trainer in your area that's clicker savvy to teach you. After reading this chapter, I started thinking about how humans are really bad at noticing the good. By the way, we don't do that on purpose. Mother Nature made us that way for survival. And that's what shaping is all about. Noticing the small things that get you to the big thing. By reinforcing one small, teeny tiny behavior that's tied to the next little behavior and the next and the next, you can get an animal that's willingly doing complex things. So for an elephant at a zoo, that might be they're willingly giving their ear to a vet tech to get a blood sample. And for our dogs, that could be staying on a bed while the front door opens and a guest comes in. So takeaway number two from Don't Shoot the Dog is notice the small things in your dog. It might be tiny and fleeting, but if the behavior's there, reinforce it. Chapter three is all about stimulus control the thing that eludes most of us dog owners. An example of a stimulus control issue is when you say, come to your dog, and sometimes she comes and other times not so much. It's when a cue does not generate the desired behavior. So what do we do when that happens? Well, typically we do all sorts of things that really aren't that helpful. Most of the time, we'll say, puppy, come. And when she doesn't, we'll say it louder and louder and then repeat it a bunch of times. And still, generally, we get nothing. Karen Pryor goes into great detail about how to get better stimulus control, which is takeaway number three, and it's talked about on pages 70 and 71, which is don't add the cue until after the animal has performed the desired behavior repeatedly first. Essentially, don't be so chatty with your dog. Our dogs have no idea what we're saying, and we inadvertently make words like come mean all sorts of other things to the dog because we said it way too often, way too soon, and essentially we make it meaningless. So here's a real-world example of how and when to add the verbal cue come to your recall behavior to get better stimulus control. First, you might reinforce all the behaviors that must happen for a dog to come to you, like turning towards you, looking in your direction, facing their body in your direction, taking one step towards you, then another, then another, etc. Then you want to start rewarding all of these behaviors in many contexts, meaning at different times of day, in different places, and with different things happening around you in the environment. Then, once you begin to see your dog coming towards you regularly, only then do you proceed to add the verbal cue. Chapter four gets into the best part of the book, in my opinion. We also understand where the name of the book comes from. This chapter is all about how to get rid of unwanted behaviors using reinforcement. Yep, that's right. Pryor explains why punishment just isn't needed. Yes, it can take some skill and some patience to use reinforcement, but boy, does it feel good to not threaten, yell at, or instill fear in your dog to get them to respond to the things you ask of them. She says there's eight ways to get rid of a behavior. And the first is to shoot the dog. No living, breathing dog, no behavior. I think we can all agree that that's a terrible idea. The second option is just icky, which is punishment. Add something the animal finds upsetting to make the behavior stop. Shock collars are used in this way. The dog jumps on the counter, they get zapped by the collar, so the dog stops jumping on the counter. The problem with punishment is that for it to work, it typically needs to be pretty harsh and that can be psychologically damaging for our dogs. The third option is negative reinforcement. This can be icky or it can be helpful. Negative reinforcement means removing something so the behavior increases. On the icky side, this is another way you can use a shock collar. You continuously zap the dog until they do the desired behavior. So we'll use the example of laying down. And when they do the behavior, the zapping stops. So removing the zap for laying down makes laying down more likely to occur again in the future since the animal wants that zapping to stop, ASAP. The more helpful way to use negative reinforcement is to back away from an animal that's scared of you. If you see an animal that's fearful, take a few steps back. When you do that, the behaviors they are displaying get reinforced and are more likely to occur again. So with fearful dogs, showing them that pinning their ears back and tucking their tail gets you to move away will help them not escalate to more aggressive behaviors to get you to move away, like snapping or biting. Option number four is extinction, which basically means letting the behavior kind of die out on its own. But this only works if you can control what's keeping it alive. So an example of this might be that you ignore your dog when he jumps on you for attention. So if you don't look at him or talk to him or touch him when he's jumping on you, he might just realize that it's not working to get your attention and he'll stop doing the behavior. Now, sometimes it's not that easy since other things may be reinforcing your dog for jumping. Like maybe you have a boxer that just lives to jump and thinks it's so much fun. That might be something I have some experience with. So options five to eight are all awesome and are the best ones to opt for. So those are train an in incompatible behavior, put the unwanted behavior on cue, shape the absence of the behavior, and change the dog's motivation. So let's explore examples of each using the problem behavior of your dog running away from you when you call him to you. So to train an incompatible behavior, you would train lots of engagement behaviors. So that would be rewarding offered check-ins, rewarding giving you eye contact, and actually training a recall to come when called putting the undesirable behavior on cue, an example, that would be where you train the behavior of running away from you as a trick. Then you would put it on cue, and you wouldn't really ever give the cue unless you actually did want them to do that behavior. You can shape the absence of the behavior, which basically would mean that every little moment of offered attention your dogs gives you, in any context, you would be reinforcing that. And lastly, you would increase that dog's motivation. And basically what that would mean in this context would be to carry better reinforcers. So maybe instead of your Zook's treats, you have goat cheese. And instead of just standing there calling your dog, you might call your dog and then run away and be really silly and drop on the ground and get them really interested. So, takeaway number four from Don't Shoot the Dog is that punishment really just not, is not necessary. It's not necessary with our kids or with our significant others, and definitely not with our pets. Reinforcement can and does work brilliantly. So, focus on things you like and reinforce those, no matter how small. Chapters five and six are about reinforcement in the real world and how clicker training is now used in so many different ways. These chapters are a must-read from start to finish and hold my last takeaway, which is found on page 161. I'm going to paraphrase. Good use of reinforcement does not mean just scattering rewards around and never saying no. Positive does not have to mean permissive, but The way in which we stop our dog from doing unwanted behaviors does not have to involve fear, force, or coercion either. A good positive reinforcement-based trainer in your area can help you put the concepts in Don't Shoot the Dog into action. So check the show notes for websites to locate a trainer near you. Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe to my podcast to hear about the next book, Turning Fierce Dogs Friendly by Kelly Snyder. And please hit me up with some positive reinforcement by giving me five stars on whatever platform you get your podcasts on if you like this. Thank you so much.